Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box, the ratings race takes a turn and some heavy hitters make some very big statements. Is Channel 10's The Project facing the act? And Alison Langdon reveals how Carl Stepanovic has changed from his days with Lisa Wilkinson. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box is about to start. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello there, I'm Rob McKnight, and as usual, we are here to discuss the TV topics of the week. And I can't do that without these people. Aaron Ryan is over in Perth. Hello, Aaron. Hello, gorgeous people. And if only the people would hear the unedited version of this podcast. Oh, indeed. Sarah Monaghan has had four hours sleep, so she's going to make even less sense than usual. Hello, Sarah in Florida. Hey, at least I've got my clothes on. Well, yes, that's true. Last time you were in party mode. Well, we won't talk about that. <laughs> David Robinson joins us from the Gold Coast. Hello, David. Hello there, Robert. Great to be with you all. And Monk is missing in action this week, but he will be back next week, I'm led to believe. All right, let's get into the big topics of the week because we often talk here at TV Black Box about the PR Jedis when it comes to ratings and how every network claims their wins. And Zoe Samanos at the Sydney Morning Herald has penned an article on just that. Writing about the ratings and what it all means, she delved into total people versus demos, the exclusion of one-off events like the Olympics and the close race between seven and nine. Zoe also spoke to Seven West Media CEO James Warburton, who had some, let's say, harsh words for Channel 10, claiming they are stuffed and essentially are only a streaming company now. Aaron, there was a lot to unpack in this article. What did you make of it all? Oh, where to start? I'm a big, big fan of Zoe's, but I, I'm going to have to call this one out and say that I think that the independence of the City Morning Herald and the Nine Entertainment Company might come into a little bit of question uh, with this. I think Zoe's piece was written with a Nine slant, with predominantly Nine perspective, using Nine statistics. Ah, uh, I've got to tell you, everything I've always heard about... The SMH and the age has been about their fierce independence. I think you're barking up the wrong tree there. I think she laid it all out about how there are different ways of skewing the numbers. She gave sevens figures on all people and the 40 weeks versus the calendar year. I think she was very open in how she was reporting everything. She report, reported the different skewing methods. I'm not really sure how you're drawing a conclusion that it was skewed. Well, I could give you a couple of examples, Rob. The first one is that she says that the three most commonly used by advertisers are the 16 to 39, the grocery shopper and child and the 25 to 54 segments in the five metropolitan capital cities. Now, Oztam, when we get our reports each day, release 16 to 39, 18 to 49 and 25 to 54. The only network that ever uses grocery shopper buyers and a child is Channel 9. So that article will help put that message out there that they're winning that uh, demographic, but it's simply not used in any major um, Oztam figure. That information... Yeah, but neither are under 50s yet. We're reporting on that. And the simple fact is that um, uh, when they're talking to advertisers, I'm assuming, and I don't know this for a fact, that the grocery buyer thing is a thing for advertisers. And I'm definitely not trying to be a nine fan by boy because I'm try- I always call out bullshit. I just don't think this article had it. Yeah, it had... It, there were obviously some categories like grocery buyers used that are used by nine and Zoe is part of the nine 
um, network, uh, uh, the Nine Entertainment Company. I, I just don't see a problem here, mate. And look, there's, look, there's, there's that. There's a couple of other things too. Obviously, as you know, that the Olympic two week. Uh, period when it's excluded is for that two-week period. Now, Channel 9 a while ago did try to put out a release trying to make, you know, the 16, 17, 18 days, but they backtracked on that. But Mate, it, as soon as but, we pointed out to them, they, they took it back and redid the figures and said it was an honest mistake. But, Rob, it's back. This uh, information that uh, Zoe has put out for the calendar year excluding the Olympics is for the entire Olympic period, not just the 14 days. Okay, well then I agree with you on that then. If that's the case... That information has clearly been provided by Nine for that purpose. How do you know that she has excluded the Olympics period? Because there like is a, all, the whole eighteen days, and not just the traditional two weeks. Because there is an Oztown run that that can be put out by the networks to show, you know, which excludes, you know, whatever days that you want to. And the, the figures that I've had, I haven't got them in front of me, but I have, I have got them. Actually, show that it's more than the fourteen day period that's been. Um, right. It, it it definitely is that. The other thing is about the uh, excluding. Uh, including the Olympic Games, is survey year versus calendar year. Now, in this article at the very top, she's written, you know, for, for purposes of this article, I'm going to use calendar year, which is absolutely fine. You can use the calendar year, no problem. But the agreement between the networks about excluding the Olympics is for the survey period. So you exclude the two weeks of the Olympics and you exclude, and you exclude the survey. However... The calendar year puts everything back into it. So once again, that will skew, skew nine when you're going to have the calendar year and exclude the Olympics. That's not what the calendar year does. The calendar year is for 365 days of the year. Okay, Judge Rob is ready to pass his verdict. On the case, if they are using more than 14 days of the Olympics, I judge in favour of Aaron Ryan and the Seven Network. In the terms of the calendar year... I find in favour of nine because I don't see a problem with excluding the Olympics because that is the big event everyone talks about. That is my judgment. No correspondence will be entered into. You get one win there, Aaron. You get one win. Be happy. Can I talk about something about Olympic ratings, which I've never been comfortable with, and I think it's ridiculous, and that is the fact that they are excluded from ratings. Now, this is my point. The Seven Network or the Nine Network or the Ten Network, they've all had the Olympics over their vast yeah. years. Um, I have no idea and do not understand the fact that the bottom line of, uh, bottom line of a network has paid for the rights to the Olympics. They should be included. Nine or ten, if you want the Olympics, then pay the extra 100 <laughs> million for them. I think that's a fair point, I just actually. think it's outrageous that in this day and age that we go, oh, no, the Olympics are special and, and it's not very fair. It's fair if you want to pay for the extra money and host it yourself. It's not like it was a hat where 7, 9 and 10 were in a hat and someone drew it out and it was luck and they didn't pay for yeah. anything, they didn't do anything for it, then fine, we no. would exclude it. But the fact is that the networks who buy Olympics uh, or Commonwealth Games uh, are doing that because they have put the money out, they've paid the hundreds of millions of dollars and the idea then that the other two networks can say oh well, no, well we can't really comp you know we can't have that in our comparisons is absolutely rubbish but here's something judge rob is ready to rule again oh, wow. <laughs> he's got the gavel wow We're i've got the gavel go. out so here's the thing <laughs> robo you are 100 correct however i'm ruling against you because the networks have always had a gentleman's agreement that the two weeks of the Olympics would be um, not included in the final reports because it's not something they have every year. So uh, I think it's in that article. Steve-O says you can't compare the Olympics to last year because they didn't have the Olympics last year and they won't have them next year. And now I, I have a big sympathy. I've always thought, well, you spend hundreds of millions of dollars on these things. You deserve to cash in. You do from a revenue point of view. But I'm sorry, Olympics... Only the two-week period, all other hangovers is fair to be counted. So I do rule in favour of the networks challenging the inclusion of Olympic figures. All right. Look, let me let me say this, moving on, because we can get bogged down with that. I'm sort of glad Mulk isn't here, otherwise this would descend for 20 minutes. But one um, line in the whole thing got me. Uh, it was... Channel 10's Beverly McGarvey, when she said, we're happy with the performance we've had, lots of really great results uh, when she was talking about what they've done this year. And I went, 
I must have missed them. And I was going back and looking over. Survivor, yep. Where are all the other great results, Bev? Can't see them. I'm calling BS on that one. And sorry, Judge Rob is ruling again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on. And details continue to emerge following the tragic death of a cinematographer on the set of Alec Baldwin's film Rust. Baldwin fired a prop gun, killing Helena Hutchins and injuring another director. As the investigation continues, we are learning of complaints and strikes over working conditions on the set and a crew member having been previously fired from a job for a similar prop gun incident. Look, Sarah, over the coming days and weeks, we're going to learn a lot more as someone ultimately is handed down blame for this. But what do we think here? Do you finish making the film? Is it... Um, is it disrespectful to the memory of this cinematographer to to not complete the film or is it disrespectful to keep going? Well, I mean, they finished The Crow That's right. after they killed Brandon Lee the same way. Um, but uh, I don't think they should. There's already been so many problems on this set. They've had people walk out previously and then this happened. Um... I mean, I think that they should just retire it. it she's she's such a... I mean, the, the director of cinematography is such a big part of a movie. Mm. And then, you know, other people were injured as well. And it's just, at this point, they should just shut it down. Um, I get that people have jobs and all of that, but apparently nobody wanted that job anyway because they're out in the middle of the desert in New Mexico and they're not happy because they've already walked off set. So I would say just let it go. You know, it's interesting, um, this prop gun, by all accounts, was used with real bullets for, um, you know, they were shooting cans or something like that while they were just uh, mucking around, Robbo. And it's quite, I, I, seriously, it sounds like a Murder, She Wrote plot, you know, where someone's put real bullets in the fake gun and, and, and you know, someone's been shot. Well, it's a real, a prop gun is just a real gun with blanks. It's Correct. like they keep calling it a prop gun. Yeah. And people think it must be like a plastic toy gun, and it's not. It's it's just a regular weapon with blanks. And blanks can still kill people, like because there's still air that comes out. And if you put a, a, a blank up to someone's head, you're still going to shoot their head off because there's still enough pressure that it's like pushing an air gun, like in No Country for Old Men where he uses the, the air tool to mm. put the hole in people's head. It's essentially the same thing. So the whole point of using a prop gun, like they should just use plastic guns or whatever, not a real gun. And they can do all this stuff in post now. They can do it editing, which, you know, which all the It's fine for everyone stuff. to say that, but that traditionally hasn't been the way it's been done. You know, and, and we on um, the Sophie Formica show, she spoke to someone from the Australian film industry and we she asked the question why... Didn't they just use prop gun? You know, like a re- like you're saying, plastic guns. And his and his point was, well, that can't give you the same um, effect as a real gun. So when you do the shot where you're firing a real it's gun, it is still acting. No, just no, make it not look from the real. actor's point of view. What the gun does and the way it fires and and nothing's as ever realistic. But going to the point you're talking about, maybe now films will do it as CGI. But you've got we're coming off what eighty years of um, film history where this is all this is the way it's always been done. But the amount, but the amount of bitching that Hollywood does, Hollywood is so anti-gun. In like they're always like people shouldn't have guns. They're so against the Second Amendment. Like there's all of this. Every time you hear like anti-gun rhetoric in the U.S., it comes out of Hollywood. And yet every one of their fucking movies has a gun in it. You know, and they constantly have accidents on set. This was a person's job, though. So we we know that uh, there is an industry standard of saying cold gun. Cold gun was yelled out, which meant that someone had checked that gun. That's not Alec Baldwin's job. So a lot of people are coming out and saying, well, as a producer or an executive producer, you also have a lot of powers as apart from just being an actor who comes out of the trailer and turns up on set. Um, But there was a person in charge of that. It's not like, say, a TV show in Australia where maybe a stagehand will do something or a, a floor manager will do something or a producer will do something to prepare for a segment. This is that one person's job to get that particular prop, whether it's a gun, whether it's a, a glass, whether it's a mobile phone, it's their job to prepare that. But there are obviously higher stakes when you're preparing a, a prop gun. This person apparently had checked the gun, had yelled that it was a cold gun, that it was ready to fire, uh, and that's what happened 
getting back to your original question, Rob, I think that there should be uh, correspondence with the uh, the director of photography's family and everyone else that's part of it, whether it should continue. I'm not immediately against whether the movie continues or not, just because uh, she unfortunately did lose her life. I'd like to think that if there was... Uh, sensitive and engaging correspondence with her family, what would they like to do? I think that they have the final say as to whether it should continue yeah. uh, because you never want to get those people saying, oh, you're just continuing for money or to recoup money or anything like that. If her family says, look, no, no, she, she, we talked, she talked about this film a lot. She loved this film. She was really passionate about it. We think that she'd like it to continue. Then, then I think absolutely. Should they then change what they, the guns they use on set there, like Sarah was saying? Yeah, I think that'd probably be a good way. All right, the project was once a ratings winner for Channel 10 but has faced a steady decline over the years, pulling in just 267,000 viewers last Monday night. And now parent company CBS is concerned about the power the show wields at the network while not delivering ratings. You know, Aaron, it was interesting when the Daily Mail contacted me. They were doing up this story. They asked me for a few comments. And I've got to say, I think there are a few factors that are contributing to the downfall of the project I've put those out in the public domain. What do you think is going on with the show? Look, I, I don't think the show should be axed, but something needs to be done um, to completely wipe the show and start something completely new in that time slot, whether it's a game show or whether they're going to put Neighbours there or something like that. It's not going to attract anything more than what the project would do. The project is a good show. I don't know what's quite wrong with it at the moment. Um, you know, obviously open for discussion now. Um, but I'll but tell you. It, you go woke, you go broke. But here's my idea for ten, and it will take like literally twenty seconds. They're not going to beat uh, seven news and nine news with ten, with, like with a ten bulletin. But they could have a go at the five thirty slot with the game shows. So put in something big at five thirty. I don't know something. So what, what, what happens to ten news first? Half an hour no, show. No, no. So you so you go with something. Big prizes, huge, older skewing like Sal the Century at 5.30, leading to 10 news at 6 o'clock. Now, obviously, it's not going to beat um, uh, 7 and 9 news, but it'll have a much bigger base at 6 o'clock from a better game show and then put the project on at 7 o'clock for 30 minutes for a much more streamlined show. I'm sorry. I have to completely disagree. I don't think 10 putting news on at 6 o'clock is going to work. And traditionally what you find, and all research shows this, is that a lot of the people who watch 10 News at 5 at 6 o'clock want more news. And so they'll go to 7 or 9 to actually see what they're offering in terms of a news service. The simple fact is the project used to rate much better. It was an enjoyable show. It takes itself too seriously now. And I really need to say the presenters, I really love them all. I think Waleed, Carrie and uh, Pete Hellier are fantastic. I think they're great. But... The show is so far up itself it can't see daylight. Because of the presenters that are on there. The reason no. that that show is so uptight is because it's badly produced. It, it's it, the, the people who are on there think that they are every day when they sit at their desk are curing cancer and they are not. I think that there are a lot of... Well, then um, that comes down to producing. If those people are, are believing that... They need to be slapped down a bit. The project thinks it is the best thing on television and I think no one is willing or able... Uh, to look in a mirror there and go, hang on, guys, this is not the way a show should work. It it should work a bit better than this. Um, We should be having more fun. We should not be taking ourselves so seriously um, because that's what it was in the beginning. So as someone who doesn't actually get to watch the project live because, you know, geo-blocking, but all I see about the project is social media and there's always clips and then there's always the comments. And... um, even the Daily Mail article today had 53 comments on it, and every single one of mm. them agreed that the Daily that 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 the project should be taken off air. Um, when you said there were 53 comments, I went, "Oh God, they're all having a go at me." And you're like, "No, no one said a damn thing about you." That's the worst thing, <laughs> though, went, isn't it? Yeah. No. Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, the project could be a brilliant show. It could be a brilliant show that gets the news of the day, its original brief, looks at it a bit differently, has a bit of fun with it, um, but it just doesn't do that anymore. And there seems to be no one within the network, no one within roving. And clearly, if, if 
Viacom CBS are only worrying about it now. Are they even watching Channel 10? It's It's been a problem for a long time. Everyone just needs to sit down and go, guys, we're not doing what we said we would be doing and the ratings are reflecting it. We could be a great show. We could be a, an amazing point of difference. We could have fun. We could do serious. We could do all of these things. But we're so hung up on having those beautiful, glossy image that we're losing everything that we're about and everything that we used to be about and it just seems to be all about money do, do you think it's possible that the the show wants to be light and what everyone wants but in in the last 12 to 18 months it's very insensitive to do that J- i just, don't think this is a 12 to 18 months issue no, mate. i mean it's been going a lot longer no but that. in just in terms of 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 covid um when america pulled out of afghanistan and what happened over there issues that we've had with china it's it's just very very hard to make a really light-hearted show these there's days. There's always shit going on in the world. There's always so I, I don't know if they feel that it's insensitive to, to get on there and make jokes all the time when a majority of the oh, news is so grim. Still I'm jokes. just putting it out there. Maybe maybe not. No, Helia makes great jokes. The problem with the project is its tagline should be, we report and we decide. Hmm. That's not bad. And, and... <laughs> could we get a little, Abby, could you add a little bit of chuckle in after? No one, it was like crickets, crickets. All I heard is that Rob wanted crickets. Yes. Crickets after his comment, Abby. <laughs> Okay, let's take a look at some key ratings headlines from this week so far. On Sunday, the block continued to wow with over 1 million viewers for the Blues, while the big seven spotlight story promoted by the Red Team failed to fire. The Sunday project continues to disappoint, providing no leading to Celebrity MasterChef, which is off the boil on 573,000. To Monday, and SAS Australia Hell Week needs to hand in its armband. That show is done. The block is holding strong, but Love Island dropped from a lead-in of 944,000 to 285,000. Now, look, we're not being as hard as we normally would be on those figures because of the later time slot and the fact it's a digital play for the Blues, but I don't think even those caveats excuse those numbers. Even with a different lineup of presenters, the project on Monday shows it's simply not connecting with audiences, beaten by ACA and Home and Away. To Tuesday now, and Mog's headline on TV Blackbox proclaimed, if it weren't for the project's poor numbers, 10 would have beaten 7 in primetime. And he's right. Hell Week is a disaster for the Reds, while the block rides high for the Blues, and <coughs> I might have to admit, I was wrong about 10's The Doghouse. It, br- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it brought in a very solid 507,000 viewers. Now, against all odds, This one is building a solid audience and performing well on plus seven numbers. Could I possibly owe the executives at 10 an apology? No. Nah, you've put me through too much shit. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron, talk to me about the plus seven numbers for the Doghouse Australia because it actually was quite good, wasn't it? Yeah, it did go uh, over 800, I think 830,000 maybe uh, once. So, I mean, it was a pretty good figure for that time slot. One thing I I must say about the ratings, I just can't stand the Australian public sometimes. The networks, <laughs> the networks now, when they make these franchises, are just going to make celebrity additions. So MasterChef didn't work with the normal contestants. SAS, which I absolutely love the show, um, but without the celebrities and putting ordinary Australians in, rated like a dog. Not the doghouse, which rated better. But... Um, it's just sad, though. Are we just going to get celebrities for, for every single franchise now and never have ordinary Australians? I just Yes. Yes, there's a lot of unemployed actors and entertainers <laughs> in Australia and B-grade and D-grade celebrities who desperately need to pay the rent because they can't go and get regular jobs because they're And Sarah they're just... is double-vaxxed, by the way. They're just famous enough that they, you know, they, they, they can't get a regular job but, you know, they're also not really famous enough that they can get a good job on television. So there's this happy medium called celebrity reality where everybody goes to die. Wow. Hey, look, it's also worth noting after some very strong results that today's show wobbled on Tuesday morning, falling under 200K and was beaten by Sunrise and News Breakfast. Robbo, should we read too much into that or is that the fluctuating breakfast market? I think that's a fluctuating breakfast market and I think that's just the reality of where those players compete now in the marketplace. I think we're at risk sometimes when it comes to ratings about getting all excited about numbers that we're we're used to 
you know, five or six years ago, those numbers don't exist anymore. This is the reality. And I think every, almost every day, maybe every week, every month, as we progress into the future, we need to recalibrate uh, and rethink our ideas of what is a hit in this very fractured market uh, and who was successful. Uh, yes, today wobbled a little bit. It's great for ABC News Breakfast, uh, Sunrise as well. But I, I just think it's one of those things. People shouldn't uh, sell their shares in the Today Show just yet. Can I ask a question to, to Rob? Because you're the breakfast man did, um, you know, breakfast TV. I don't understand how the ratings keep changing. I mean, I thought people ordinarily just switch on and go, I'm going to watch Sunrise or I'm going to watch Today. Some days it's all over the place. I mean, Today gets within a whisker of, of Sunrise and mm. it's like 1,000 viewers. And then the next day it's like 60,000 viewers different. And then it seemed to be a pattern that on Wednesdays Today would actually win. And then on, you know, this Wednesday they actually lost to even news breakfast. How does, is the audience literally just switching each day? I mean, because I thought people watched I, I think one that's show. a sign of a changing market. So what that shows, when you're the challenger, you will sometimes get some highs and then you'll get kicked in the guts again and you'll be low. And that's what we're seeing with the Today Show. And while Sunrise can celebrate um, today falling to third place on Tuesday, maybe Sunrise had something good. So... You've got to imagine Sunrise have got a strong base audience, right? But they're wavering. So they're starting to go over to the over to the Today Show. But their default is still seven. So they might even flick on seven and go, oh, yeah, and flick over. Maybe on Tuesday morning, and I genuinely don't know what uh, Sunrise's lineup was, um, but maybe they had a strong show. Uh, maybe they had an interview that was compelling in that seven o'clock hour or something good that they were pulled through it. Uh, doing a pull through for so and we've also got to understand that on that day the numbers seem to be lower as well so sunrise i think only did 244,000 where they're usually above 260 so when you're challenging and when you're starting to get the ratings and i can correlate this to when we were studio 10 we would get one day we we were building 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 we might get some great number there was even a time where we beat the morning show and today extra in the 9 30 hour and then the following day we'd have a big slide back down and then you'd build again and it was it, it, it is that thing that you will get fluctuation but you're making chinks in the armor so i think what you've got to look at uh, for this over long term is the trend and nine and seven will certainly be looking at that trend and seeing who's heading in the right direction. At the moment, let's not forget, Sunrise have a lot to crow about. They're still number one. Yeah, they lost a day. But, you know, at the end of this year, they will more than likely be able to say, we've won every week this year. Now, they used to be able to say, we won every day. But it's still a pretty impressive stat to be able to say, we won every week. The, pro the thing is, will that sustain going into 2022 with Carl and Ali on fire together? Nat and Koshi, strong team, but is Sunrise feeling stale? Is there something about the chemistry with Carl and Ali that's connecting with viewers? Or is it something else entirely? Does that answer your question? <laughs> I'm not sure he asked you one. <laughs> I guess it does. I just, I just, I uh, guess I think with the evening news bulletins, people pick, you know, for example, Peter Overton or Mark Ferguson, and the ratings go up or down just a little tiny bit. But, but in the morning, people seem to get their remotes out, don't they? Um, that's not quite true, Aaron, because even when we were rebuilding Nine News, especially in Sydney, same thing happened. You would get some good figures then you would drop again because their viewers were rusted on seven, but they were starting to make the switch. And so when seven is their default at that time, it they'll come across once, forget, oh, then come across again until their habit starts breaking. It's the exact same pattern when shows start to take off, no matter what network, no matter what time slot. All right, the first round of votes have been cast and the final nominations are in for the TV Black Box Awards. Live streaming on November 28, a total of 22 awards will be given now to recognise the Australian television industry in the wake of the Logies being postponed for another year. It was Seven who received the most overall nominations with 32. The ABC came in next with 26 nominations, although led the noms when based only on programs and not people. 
Nine were close behind with 21 nominations and 10 in fourth with 12. Streaming services, Amazon Prime Video, Stan, Binge, Paramount Plus and Apple TV also picked up some nominations. Robbo, who are you hoping to see take out some boxies? Well, I obviously think uh, Nicole Kidman's a big fan of this uh, podcast <laughs> uh, and of the website in general. I know that she is Brilliant. one of the nominees. I have no doubt that we'll see Nick there. Great to see you there, Nick, and uh, uh, and, and love to the other person that you're married to. What's his name? Kyle? Kevin? <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, she's the star in that relationship. Uh, I think this is really exciting, and, and it, it gives that alternative because we don't have the Logies... And the Logies are very special. Uh, I'm hoping that the ABC gets the recognition that it deserves. Uh, Look, it's going to be an interesting race. The votes are coming through thick and fast. And uh, every time I look at it, uh, you know, it's changing. There are some very tight races and some categories are changing along the way. So, uh, Aaron, is there anyone you'd like to see recognised? Well, I'd like to see Lisa Wilkinson and Carl Stefanovic both win and bring them together on the on the 28th. That'd be. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see that acceptance. That, maybe speech. I could make that, that happen. Brilliant. That'd, that'd be lovely. Yeah. Maybe she could give him a copy of her book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Seven West Media have announced the appointment of Alex Tansley in a newly created position as head of Convergence Audience Trading. Effective immediately, he will be responsible for developing and delivering seven strategy across dynamic and converged audience trading solutions through Code 7 Plus, CRM, and developing new operating models and products. Peter Noble is joining National Indigenous Television, or NITV, as a general manager overseeing commission, internal productions, acquisitions, sports, and news programming. He brings more than 20 years' experience in the media industry, most recently with the Walt Disney Company, playing an integral role in the launch of Disney Plus in Australia and New Zealand. Tara Colton at Seven has been promoted within the Seven Sport team to executive producer of Digital and Sport. Her management of the digital and social strategies and operations for Seven Sport will include the Olympic Winter Games in Beijing next year. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Thank you, Sarah. Coming up, Alison Langdon reveals how Carl Stefanovic has changed from his days with Lisa Wilkinson. And we open the TV binge box to find out what everyone's been watching this week. You're listening to TV Black Box. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, Alison Langdon has become a bit of a star at Nine, rising through the ranks as a reporter on Nine News, through to 60 Minutes, and now co-host of The Today Show. But she's now also branching out into primetime as host of Parental Guidance on Channel Nine. I caught up with Alison Langdon a little earlier. Alison Langdon, welcome to TV Black Box. Nice to talk to you. How are you, Rob? Uh, I'm very well. It's been a while since we last spoke, but obviously I see you on the Today Show every morning. You're kicking goals there. Yeah, look, you know, we're, we're, we're having fun. It's been, I think it's been a long year for everyone, hasn't it, this year? And I think most of us will, will be happy to, to farewell 2021 and say <laughs> hello 2022 and never, ever, ever talk about COVID again, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, how are you finding the Today Show? Because the show has been through a bit of turmoil. You've joined the show. You've got great chemistry with Carl. I think the pairing is fantastic. You, um, you guys have really found a way to deliver the news and deliver fun and the ratings are coming. I think what's been really important to us is we realise there's so much big news to cover and there has been since the day we started together. That was when we came back early because of the bushfires. Mm. But I'm also mindful that, you know, there's only so much you can take of bad news and doom and gloom. So for us, it's still hitting all those important big stories each morning. But in between, just trying to find those light moments and often that involves, you know, it's all razzing Carl a bit. But it's just, you know, it's a nice atmosphere on set. 
it's, it's you know it's a lovely warm environment and so it's it's just finding that fun and realizing what's going on in everyone's household in the mornings when you're getting ready it's so important in fact i think it's more important now than it ever has been to have a bloody laugh <laughs> so true um you know and some days some days you know to be honest it can be really hard to find that when you know especially if we go back a couple of months and and when case numbers were going up, mm. states were in lockdown, you know, state premiers and, and chief ministers were feuding. It was it was really angsty. And I think when all of that was going on, it was more important to go, okay, right, let's just, you know, let's find something that we can laugh about or makes us feel good, you know. There's still lots of other stories going on. Let's sort of try and find those and bring the stories or put the stories to air of, you know, good people doing good, fun things. Mm. Now, obviously, taking over the Today Show co-hosting role is a huge, huge deal. It's one of the most prized spots on Australian television, but also one of the most fraught, because if you don't have that chemistry, it can implode, and we've seen that previously. Uh, do you feel the pressure of taking on that role? Um, I think we all feel the pressure of taking on this role. You don't take it on lightly, this job. It's a big role. There's there's lots of scrutiny, and that's fair enough. Um, but I think, you know, coming from 10 years and 60 minutes, mm. so it was a great grounding. And on top of that, I did Weekend Today show for several years. So I was used to morning television. It's different when you shift from weekends to weekdays. There is more scrutiny with that you're on air longer and and there's a lot you know there's been a lot as we've talked about a lot of big issues that we've had to deal with so you definitely don't take that lightly and and you're really mindful of you know what is it that that audience needs to hear and what is it that the audience wants to hear and then just getting that mix right each day and just focusing on good content good you know good chemistry between us and as you say that's um you know, that, that's either there or it's not. And I think mm. for us, it's also grown over time as you learn to trust the person beside you and and you read their cues. Um, and, you know, the more you get to know the person sitting beside you, the more comfortable. And, you know, it's, it's pretty sad, really, when you can finish each other's sentences. <laughs> Especially when it's Carl Stefanovic. Nice. I mean, maybe that just means we're predictable. I don't know. You know? <laughs> it must be fascinating for you at the moment seeing all these extracts from the Lisa Wilkinson book because you're sitting in that same chair. You are um, almost living the life she was leading differently but same. And so to see her perception of things and the way you're sitting in that chair, there's no doubt to me, Carl, is sort of a different person than what he was back there. Well, I mean, that's very hard for me to comment on because it was before my time. I mm. can only talk about how it is now sitting next to Carl. And, I mean, he is the most giving co-host, incredibly generous. And, you know, if there, you, there are moments, as I'm sure you get, in the three and a half hours where you might say something and it comes out and it's clunky or it's not quite right. He's great to see, having him there in the chair beside me because he'll either kind of rescue the situation or he'll put me right in it. It's like, you know, <laughs> you have to let that one go through to the keeper. It's like, no, nah, mate, that one's too good. Um, so, you know, it's kind of fun. You know, if you don't get something quite right, it's either going to be, he's either going to rescue it or he's going to dump you in it, um, which just makes great TV. Um, so, you know, my experience obviously is is all I can talk to. Mm. Um, um, what happened with Lisa was before my time, so I don't really think it's appropriate for me to get involved or to comment. Oh, look, very diplomatic answer, Ali. You are a true pro. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what I will say, and this is a piece of commentary from me, is that you are bringing out the best in Carl and he is bringing out the best in you. And you two have become one of the best duos on Australian TV. And I don't think that can be underestimated. We've seen what happens when the casting is wrong and you are doing such an amazing job every morning sitting alongside Carl. And I think you ought to be applauded for that. Oh, I mean, that's very, very kind of you, Rob, to say that. And I think... No, you know I don't say it unless I mean it, Ali. I know, I, and I know, which is why I, I truly mean it. Thank you. That is a really, really kind thing to say. It, you know, but we came into this, and I sort of feel like my job is to make Carl look good, and his is to make me look good. And if you focused on what the other one is doing and trying to, you know, build them up, and, and by building them up, you still slap them down. That's part of the fun <laughs> of the trust you've got with that relationship. 
then, you know, I, I don't think you can sort of really go wrong when you've got each other's back. Now, one of the great joys of being on the Today Show is being noticed by the programming people and getting opportunities. And one of the opportunities you've got is parental guidance, which starts on Monday at 7.30. I've got to say, I've, I've watched this show and it's a very different show to the kind of reality fair that's out there. And it's so engaging from... Uh, well, it's an entirely new concept yeah. and format. Sorry, I thought you'd finished. Continue. Uh, no, that, that's no okay. Uh, I could, you know me, I will go on forever. But the, the thing... But that's what I love about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the thing about this show, I agree with you, it is, a diff- it is different, it is a different format. And there are such compelling moments in it and for any parent when you look back at what you've done and how you've brought up kids this is must see TV Well I think as parents we've all got those moments we're really proud of and we all have those moments we'd rather forget right yeah. and when you're talking about some big issues in this show such as do you smack your child, mm. would your child go off with a stranger, you know, how do you deal with discipline, these are all issues, screen time, that's another big one, these are all issues every single family is dealing with and to see how all these different sets of parents deal with those is fascinating, like I've found, uh, my husband and I have had so many chats about how we parent our kids since this show, since filming it. Um, and what I realised is um, we've never really given it a whole lot of thought as to how we're going to parent. Yeah. You know, we just kind of wing it. And, you know, I guess my husband's some, you know, probably a little bit more disciplined than I am. I've worked out I'm probably a little too inconsistent. And so we've just had these great chats. We've sat down about, okay, how, how do we ensure we're on the same page here? And, you know, I've learnt just as much from the strict parents as I have from the free range parents in this in this experiment. Mm. So it's it's pretty fascinating. But it does make there's some there are some pretty heated moments. There are some uncomfortable moments because we don't shy away from any of the, the topics that are being discussed in households around the country. Well look you talk about the smacking one and it was interesting because there is a couple who use smacking as one of their tools uh, for disciplining their kids and it's interesting uh, there were a couple of key points that came out of that when the tables were turned and that um, the kids it was opposite day and the kids became the parents and Mm. the parents became the kids and to see what kids pick up from parenting styles I've got to tell you I'm afraid to do that one I think I should do it but I'm afraid (laughs) what would come out if my kids if we turn the tables like that but what was also interesting was how everybody hounded the people who openly said yes we do smack our kids and then you asked a key question who here has smacked their kids and pretty much everyone had to put up their hand although I noticed we didn't see if you put up your hand Ali Um, have you smacked your kids no, I haven't. Oh, and you're a better me, parent that, than me, Ali. Yeah, but you know, but you know, I'll be honest. Like, I, I, it's not something I'd ever sort of really thought about. You um, don't, though. And it's... we were smacked. We were smacked as kids, and, mm. and Mum will get angry. She's gonna say, "You sound like I belted you." No, but I mean, it was. It, we did get smacked. It wasn't very often, but then we always had the threat of it. And yeah. that always worked. And um, but for me, like, I'm just bracing it on my kids now. My four-year-old can be quite emotional at times. But, I mean, they do, two and four, they do wail into each other these days. And so here I am pulling them apart. Do not hit your sister. Do not smack your brother. For me personally, it it doesn't then sit comfortably that I turn around and I smack when I'm telling them not to. Yeah. Um, But I do do understand because I was growing up in a household where it happened. Um, And I think people have very emotive responses to this because I I think there are different ways that people smack too. And I think, you know, some of the um, emotions and responses in the room were perhaps in regards to how they were raised and how discipline was handed up in their families. So I think there's a lot of personal experience that comes into that, which is why I thought it was really important when, when it did when it was getting very heated in the room and it was getting a bit uncomfortable, but that's also really important that that we deal with the issues and sometimes mm. these issues are uncomfortable, to just kind of put it in perspective. And as you say, it was surprising when I asked that question, how many people in this room smacked? How many people put their hand up? Um, 
it just kind of it, it took it took that real heat um, and pressure of the situation. Yeah, it's easy to be to say you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. I'm offended mm. by what you're doing, and then hang on, have you done it? Oh yeah, I have. You know, and the fact is, what this series shows is that everyone is fallible. And on the smacking issue, it's usually a sign that you've lost control of the situation, or you're tired, or you know, you're you. Uh, it, it's not a tool um, that should be in your in your toolbox, but it is something that has come out, I think, occasionally with people. And look, I think this is a fascinating series, Ali. I, I cannot wait to see the remainder of the series. I'm learning so much, but it's also engaging. It's not preaching, it's engaging. No. And there are a lot of lessons to learn for everyone, I think. And, and I think everyone in the room came into it. Like, everyone loves their kids. Um, you know, more than life itself. And they've come in trying to do the very best they can. And everyone is open to seeing what other people are doing and if they can improve. Mm. And I think a lot of, you know, by the end of the experiment, a lot of our parents, no one is going, nope, I've got it absolutely right. Everyone else is wrong. And my way is the only way. Everyone was really receptive to how others do things. And, you know, and we talk about the heavy issues right now. There are so many laughs and funny moments mm. Uh, and, and connections between these these parents and these families that you see throughout the the um, the whole season, it's it's really lovely. So it's kind of you know I don't know if you've seen the shorts. I'm crying at different times, <laughs> laughing at other. So you know it's got everything. It's got everything. All things that we do every day as parents, we laugh and we cry. Don't we? <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's got that emotional range. Uh, the show is Parental Guidance. It premieres on Monday at seven thirty p.m. on nine and nine now. Ali Langdon, you know I love you. You're a legend. Thanks for being on TV yeah. Black Box. Love you too. See you, Rob. <laughs> so, uh, so, Rob, um, parental guidance is obviously starting next week and it's going to be up against Big Brother. I usually love, you know, guessing ratings and stuff, but this one's a bit hard for me. What do you reckon? I actually think it's going to be a pretty even split. I don't think Big Brother or parental guidance will go gangbusters. Obviously, we all know I'm a Big Brother fanatic, so I will be watching Big Brother. And But I've got to say, Parental Guidance was... I, I've seen the first episode now, and it's a great show. So I think, I think it'll be an even split, and, uh, uh, but Parental Guidance will appeal to parents and it's confronting but good television I, I really liked it and it's very it's something very different but now it's time to open the tv binge box and find out what everyone's been watching sarah what's been on your list this week uh, it was only one ncis <laughs> no Below deck. Surprisingly Below enough, Below deck. I have, I, no, no, I've ditched everything for Shameless. Oh. We are just powering through Shameless and it is, I mean, it's old. It's really, really old. And it's funny because like they you know, they have references in it to like, you know, something like Obama did or something political. And you're like, oh, I remember that happening. And it's just, and you know, the old flip phones. And then you can see it as it progresses through time, like when they got an iPhone. Um, but we legit spent the entire weekend from like wake up to go to bed late watching Shameless, just binging the whole thing. Fabulous. All right, Robbo, what's been on your list? Uh, we've got to wrap this up soon because I'm up to episode seven of Squid Game and I cannot get enough. I always Ooh. come in a little bit late. You're like, to... very, yeah, <laughs> you're a month late. Now, you know why? Because. It's better well, than early. I, yes, better than arriving early. But I like to. Uh, I like to see things with a fresh eye, uh, and I'm very excited about it. So I'm still watching that uh, 30 Rock. Can Blue I say, Robert, you know my 11-year-old yep. daughter, she, on Roblox, there is Squid Game. She's playing Squid Game on Roblox. Now, sorry, is that the one that I like? <laughs> yes, I think so. I mean, the game I meant. I meant the game. <laughs> For, yeah, Fortnite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Hey, Aaron, what are you watching, friend? <laughs> Quick. <laughs> Um, the Blacklist is back. Nine years, can you believe that show has been going for? Wow. Um, the other one, Seven News Spotlight, it aired on the weekend but didn't air in the Northern Territory because of legal reasons and can't put it on Seven Plus because of that, which means I can't watch it. So if anyone can email me and tell me some sort of way I can watch the show or <laughs> someone at Seven send me a copy. <laughs> um, and the other one, obviously I've been watching Love Island, um, now, so I know that you guys probably don't, don't watch it, but the idea of the show is that you couple up with someone, find a spark, etc., and if you're left as the vulnerable position that you're not with anyone, you basically get dumped from the island. 
Well, I mean, we all know that the relationships are not going to be, you know, that authentic, but there were two couples that seemed to be working, you know, fairly well and connecting and strong. There was one girl that was left on Monday night and ordinarily she would be dumped, but there was a twist and she stayed and one of the two strong couples were actually kicked off kicked off the show you know and of course they were devastated because they actually did have a strong couple that wasn't supposed to be the the whole point of the show so very disappointed it was cruel and i did see a lot of um comments online about that it was uh it was pretty cruel so hopefully uh they don't do that kind of thing moving forward um that sounded so serious for such a shit show but um <laughs> but but i'm still watching it and so is 600 other thousand australians Good so man. You, you can't do that love island love it uh i've been watching the goldbergs i i i know why you dropped off robbo but i'm still yeah. enjoying it enough to uh, i do like it so you got to power through is it a power through series that's what we call um, them I, I i'm binging it for sure but sure. um Look, you just got to accept the fact it starts off with jokes at the beginning, but it always ends on a really nice, um, wholesome uh, part. What way did we the, end. the wrap today? up at the end is a little is always unbelievable. Yeah, so it's a TV show you have on while you're cooking dinner. It's in the background. Is uh, it that kind of weirdly, show? Weirdly, I tend to actually watch it in one go. Mal could be very impressed with me. I watch an episode in Not one in go, five but I usually minutes. am going through emails and stuff at the time. But that's how I watch TV. Um, my wife and I are watching Lucifer again, so we're back on I Lucifer, want to watch this. and uh, we're on the series where God has turned up. So we're enjoying that. Um, now that I've got my, uh, we bought a new Foxtel remote for the Foxtel Now box, so we can watch Foxtel again. Um, I'm able to. What's that reaction, Robo? And in, in, in any way, guys, uh, well, before we get to Canasta or before we get to playing uh, Baccarat, I'd like to say that the wife and I, the missus and I, got a new remote <laughs> control, everyone. Uh, so uh, that's, put oh. that in the minutes, would you, Gerald? Because I got a remote control. Uh, but yes. No, we lost it. I talked about this last week, how we lost the Foxtel yes. now. And I believe that remote. we lost a couple of listeners uh, to old age when we went through that story as well then. So I'm glad we've got a follow-up. Right. The so sequel that no one asked for. You're saying I'm... Um, Boring. Okay. No, I didn't uh, say. Oh, I didn't say that. That was my character, <laughs> Gerald. Um, so I, I watched last week tonight, and also catching up on Real Housewives of Melbourne. Oh, oh that's good television. I've never I watched the series it. before. Me neither. Um, obviously, Malk is doing a podcast on that. I wonder if that's what he's doing tonight. Anyway, uh, looking forward to Doctor Who which will be here on the 1st of November, might have to take the day off work. All right, that brings us to the end of the TV Black Box. Abby Mickelson produced and wrote and edited this podcast. David Robinson joined me. Aaron Ryan joined me. Sarah Monaghan joined me. And I'm Rob McKnight. It's good night from McKnight. Naughty Love Island. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 